0: Thank <music> you.
1: Welcome to Movie Left, a movie review podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Montrulo, joined here by my co-host, Comrade Dracula. Comrade, what's happening?
2: Oh, what it is, what it is. I uh, went to one of my favorite uh, restaurants near where I live here and uh, there, was, there was like three people sitting right in the middle of the restaurant and there wasn't anybody else there and they were talking kind of unnecessarily loud for you know having no one else around right and they were talking about movies and they they seem pretty young right and one of them said they were talking about horror movies and i kind of just overheard a little bit and one of them said this this young woman goes um you know you can like make a horror movie without like targeting marginalized communities and i was like what <laughs> so, <laughs> it, 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 like uh, okay so I guess get out is cancelled now because that was you know uh, so it, it also
1: ignores like 90% of horror movies that are just like targeting like white suburban teens you know like all the fucking <laughs> sl- right <laughs> It's just well, a weird what a weird it's, it's, fucking it's, it's, criticism of J. It's like the,
2: the the person that didn't like the 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 the, the, <clears> the <throat> <it> remake because <laughs> the monster villain clown Pennywise made fun of the gape kid for being gates like that's how I mean, you know the a The child murderer
1: and, and guy who eats, you know, <laughs> children. Right. Yeah. So then, it,
2: then it's like, well, if he kills the gay kid, is that homophobic? Or is it if he doesn't kill the gay kid, is that homophobic? Because it's like not, <laughs> not equally represented on the screen with the rest of the Kids got, you know, it's yeah, just one. So, it's just like like a dumb thing that someone just says yeah. as a new jerk without really thinking. Well, it what are you know? the
1: yeah? What are the morals of this this uh, other dimensional being who's been on Earth for over a million years and gets yeah, yeah. children or, or, and preys or, or, on their fears to say? Or, or
2: like us? There's a whole family in us that's being targeted to be killed because you know it's just it's like so we can't can't have black people in horror movies now. Like what? <laughs> so yeah. it just made no sense, and it just I just sat there thinking like, oh my god, this is. Like, okay, so there were like, uh, just another flip side of that there was a theater that was going to show uh, a you know, legacy print of uh, Science of the Lambs. And mm. someone put up a big event page to uh, tell everyone to boycott the theater because they said that Science of the Lambs is a transphobic film. Uh, and they come on. God. I don't. Like, I don't remember what the what happened with it, but it was just like, wait, what? So what? Okay, so first no, of all, like the <laughs> the villain in that is actually uh not trans, and for a second, uh, what? So trans people can't be the be the villain in a horror movie now, like that. You where where is the. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's it. That's beyond. That's a beyond
1: stupid. Right? You know, it's a transphobic movie. Ace Ventura is a transphobic movie. Silence of the Lambs is a movie about a fucking psychopath who happens to also be a crossdresser. Like, that's not the same thing as like well, it's, it's actually of psychopaths. Kind of, but yeah, well, yeah, well, yes, but you know what I mean? Like it, the 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 character they're referring to, it's actually transphobic to call that character trans because that character is not trans at all. So. Right. You know, it's it's fucking stupid. It's, it's, you know, whatever. It's one of
2: those things where it's like you can't, um, you can't do, you can't tell any story that includes anyone from a marginalized community without being then accused that you did something wrong, right? Like it's okay. So horror movies are just only going to be white people then. All right, there we go. Yeah. Great. So
1: let's go back to the horror movies before the, you know, the the 1970s, every horror movie was about white people. Um, But, but, and also what I, what I replied to you on Twitter with that, uh, to that, when you mentioned that, that you overheard that conversation is like horror is actually one of the most flexible genres for examining uh, societal injustices and things like that. And, 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 and really like putting a spotlight on that, but using a broad, uh, method of delivery to bring that message to people. I mean, you look at like George Romero's movies, like Dawn of the Dead, Night of the Living Dead, you know, uh, really, you know, interesting, uh, musings on capitalism and on race. And, you know, obviously even Jordan Peele's movies, get out us race and class. Like there's, that's what horror yeah. ex- at its best exists for. You know, I to, even say to do shit like that. Yeah, I, I think even Walking
2: Dead has tapped into themes of class and race. Even though Andrew Lincoln, very tone deaf, said, "Well, this is a post racial world in this show," and it's
1: like, eh, not well, really. the earlier seasons were written.
2: Yeah, th- there was a lot more depth Thanks to the earlier there's, seasons. There's, there's moments. That there's, there's the moment where Tyrese is is telling Rick <laughs> to to go figure out who killed his girlfriend. And he's like, you're a cop, figure it out. Like, there's definitely, like, a, 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 an implication there, <laughs> a racial implication, <laughs> and a dynamic there where it's like, oh, we're on the same playing field now, like, you're not. So, yeah, I, to, to say it's, it's there's no, you know, the, the writers of a show are not aware of racial dynamics and how that plays into the story and what they're trying to tell and everything is just ridiculous. So,
1: yeah. But anyway, that's not what we're here to talk about today. We are here today today to talk about uh, a movie that uh, is not focused with uh, concerns of, 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 you know, individuals on Earth necessarily, but uh, it is concerned with the survival of humankind. So with that, today we are reviewing the 2014 Christopher Nolan film, Interstellar.
0: We used to look up in the sky and wonder at our place in the stars. Now just look down and worry about our place in the dirt.
2: Go for main engine start, T-minus ten.
0: We must confront the reality that nothing in our solar system can help us. Nine. I've got kids, Professor. How long have you gone? Eight. I'm asking you to trust me. Seven. Marsh. You have to talk to me, Murph. Six. I need to fix this
2: before I go.
0: You have no idea when you're coming back.
2: Five. Main engine start. Couldn't you have told her you were going to save the world? No.
0: Four. When You become a parent. Three. One thing becomes really clear. Two. And that's that you want to make sure your children feel safe. One. Do not go gentle into that good night. Old age should burn and rave at close of day. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Are you ready? Yes, you are.
2: So, uh, wow, that was probably the you, most dramatic I, Lincoln
1: commercial I think he's ever done. <laughs> I was gonna say, uh, I don't know about you. I really want to go buy a Lincoln, uh, Murano after hearing that, but uh, yeah, Matthew McConaughey can
2: just sell me anything.
1: Uh, so uh, yeah, I, I love that trailer, by the way. That, um, real quickly, we should just talk about maybe the kind of the the history of, of leading up to Interstellar for Chris Nolan, um, because he, you know, uh, a lot of like Chris Nolan to me is one of the kind of great filmmakers that we got in the two thousands. Like you know of all of all the modern filmmakers, he's the one that we're like. You tell me there's a Chris Nolan movie. I'm like that's probably going to be a fucking great movie. But mm-hmm. you know there there are obviously hallmarks to Chris Nolan movies. Things he does well, things he doesn't do well, which I'm sure we'll talk about. You know through the course of this episode. Um, but this movie, you know. You know, Chris Nolan made the uh, the three Batman movies, which, you know, were varying degrees of good to excellent. Uh, obviously, Dark Knight being the, you know, uh, one, of, one of the best uh, action movies of the last, you know, 15 years and certainly the best Batman movie that we've gotten so far. I guess we'll see what happens once Joker comes out. But, um, if, you know, following that, he came out with Inception, which was another movie that, you know, I think a lot of people after seeing... Uh, the, the Batman movies were like, I'll watch anything this fucking guy does. I'll you know sight unseen doesn't have to be a, a, right. a, a you know
2: well and you that's just also inner-
1: kind of I think why he did those Batman
2: movies because it's like okay if you make Hollywood that much money they'll let you do anything, <laughs> kind mm-hmm. of a kind of a deal where it's like he's I you know he's got these huge ideas but you know with some of his earlier stuff you didn't need a big budget for it right and and with um, you know the following and with uh, memento time you know or our perception of it or at least how time is presented in the story was very much part of those films but yeah you know not not a huge cgi budget right where with the later stuff he's like okay i got bigger ideas but i'm gonna have to kind of (laughs) like do do the like very pedestrian batman stuff
1: to to get there financially well so and the thing that sets nolan uh, apart from other filmmakers is that he has this uh a real he has a real love for practical effects and a real uh kind of disdain for just you know cgi blob fest that you get out of most sci-fi movies or most comic book movies whatever you want to he's really uh he's really a visual filmmaker in that he he hates to do anything cgi when he could do it practically regardless of the cost which is really kind of a labor of love and it's not something that a lot of directors can get away with but like you said because he did make uh studios so much money with those batman movies uh he basically can write his own check at this point and do whatever the fuck he wants like there's scenes sure. in inception is an incredibly uh effects heavy movie but there's so much shit in that movie that people would not believe uh, were done practically i mean that whole hallway scene with the you know in in inception where the they're in the in the van that's flipping so the hallway within their their dream is is like tilting and they're flying across with all this crazy uh like gravity they built this entire fucking hallway on this rig and they basically it's insane the shit that they did
2: he's gonna do it like kubrick does yeah so when i say cgi i mean we know that there's certainly elements especially do you have to do some yeah were, were completely cgi um but almost all of the ships were models they built and they built like the the actual the actual space station ship they're in they built three modules of it the whole thing so yeah, that they could yeah. No, i mean they shot like
1: 2001
2: basically i mean yeah, it, this, this it, thing was like 150 feet wide <laughs> it was incredible uh and and just i mean the the level of detail um it's just, it is so rich, but yeah, whether you, well, you know, we, obviously he's going to shoot a bunch of, uh, you know, models or whatever. It's not even fair to call it a model when you're shooting something. It's only like, Uh, 115 scale and it's 50 feet you know so but like the the landing ships they actually something that could crush you if it fell on you is not really quite a model (laughs) it's it's dozens of people yeah so you know they're doing like really good compositing of like putting different practical shots together so they're all in the same shot uh would i guess technically be cgi but not much
1: one of in the in one of the uh kind of behind the scenes videos you sent me i think it was a cinematographer was like yeah chris would just shoot this movie in space if if we had the uh budget to do
2: that definitely (laughs) well i mean that doesn't always go as as good as planned i don't know if you know that would not be a good idea how terrible uh james Cameron's production of the abyss was uh trying to actually shoot it in underwater uh as a nightmare it was a total fucking mess
1: and yeah, they ended up uh, shooting it in a tank or in, like, a nuclear reactor because they couldn't, like, it was just such a fucking fiasco.
2: Yeah, no, it or was nuts. And, yeah. and there's, like, a whole documentary about what everything went wrong. And it was just, like, don't don't shoot movies underwater. if Like, that's just, don't do that as a director.
1: <laughs> yeah, and, ima- and imagine doing that, but you can't surface for air. You're just in space, and there's no fucking air, and there's no, like... um but but anyway so yeah i mean and chris nolan and and that's what sets him apart as a filmmaker and i mean you can you know there's there's certainly complaints to make about him in terms of his maybe some of his dialogue and some of the emotional beats that he that he puts into some of his scripts which you know and and i'll defend some from this movie that i think get undue shit but there's also some shit you know that that's kind of indefensible but but just for uh, from a pure visual standpoint i don't think anyone can touch him right now, like in, in the modern pantheon of directors. Like it, it's just, he, he's next level with action scenes with, with beautiful dazzling, you know, uh, the, the spaceship scenes in this movie are, are incredible. There's, there's that's, you know, that one sequence, um, the docking sequence, which, you know, we'll get into more in depth when we talk about the, the kind of whole Matt Damon arc of it. Um, but, uh, it, it's just one of the most incredible gripping, you know, uh, uh, pieces of, of cinema I've seen in a long time. So that's that's yeah, where it, no there, one really stands out.
2: There was something really mesmerizing about that scene. Uh and I've I've tried to kind of figure it out and it's it's something about just the, the simplicity of how it's shot, right? How you know your 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 camera's just basically locked in place for every single one of those shots and you're just letting the thing that's moving in space, whether it's the you know the the ship coming in on one direction and the, the other ship is spinning around and all the debris flying off of it. And as you know, one starts to sync up with it, then all of a sudden like they're not moving. And it's the, the planet beneath them that's spinning around like crazy. And just the the way they did all that, uh, it's just phenomenal. the physics of
1: that scene are incredible and, you know, true to life from what, from what we understand. So, well, that's something else we should talk about up top, you know, is the science of, of this film. And we're not, Uh, we're not scientists we're not space surgeons you know we're not gonna be able to describe to you in detail uh, outside of what we've we've gleaned from kind of reading about Listen, but newton's third law you gotta leave something behind that's all you need to know
2: (laughs) (laughs) um
1: but yeah so you know they they did hire on uh a physicist kip thorne and his and he's a you know well-renowned physicist and his rule for coming on the movie was like look I'll do it but like no bullshit hollywood science like any anything that needs to be done needs to at least be theoretically possible um and you know I, I, that largely checks out i mean the, kip thorne wrote a whole you know 250 page book about the science of interstellar where he details like the actual scientific concepts behind all of the big ideas and uh, celestial features from this movie Uh, And it's, you know, the things we see in this movie, the depiction of a black hole, the depiction of a wormhole, these things were done with a scientific literacy that you've never seen before on film. Like just just conceptually, I think it blew people's minds and mine included. And I've I've always been a lover of all things space. Uh, You know, I don't pretend to be well versed in it, but I, you know, I'm always willing to like listen and learn about shit and i was like wow i never it never occurred to me that a wormhole would be a big fucking sphere because it's you know it's it's not we always think of everything two-dimensionally and that's how our fiction so often kind of lazily portrays all of these things but the that that, that uh aspect of it really rings true and that really adds to the story especially when we start getting into the alien worlds and the science of those worlds
2: so one of the things that they did um, was instead of uh, having the the CGI people go, go, "Oh hey, what would look cool right to to do with a black hole right because um, yeah. you know we have all this this better CGI and everything that they reverse engineered it actually. So they took some of these quantum equations from this from this physicist. Uh, and plugged it into a computer to try to figure out what it would really look like. And, and of course, you wouldn't see the black hole because no light can escape it. Well, what you, you would see, and what we actually can see, because the first actual photograph of, of, a, of the, the the warped light lensing around a singularity uh, black <laughs> hole, was just released this April of this year. Uh, and, and, of course, looks just like the CGI they came up with. But they basically <laughs> fed all the data or fed the 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 the, the Uh, theoretical equations into a computer and this is what it spit out and based on the modeling from this computer they animated what what it would look like and of course it looks phenomenal especially when you see the tiny little speck of the spaceship like crossing you know everything and it's just like this huge like wave of of light warping around and everything and uh and then yeah sure enough we get this picture that looks like a very tiny blurry version and when we looked at it on different days the light looked totally different indicating that the light moving around it is moving extremely rapidly the way that it looks like in this movie.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, it, it essentially looks like it's got basically like a giant ring around it. Like it's like it's Saturn, but it's, um, really, and, and this is almost way beyond my comprehension, but basically it's what it is, is like the, the, the doubling of like the lens effect of, of of actually looking into that, that black hole. And that's the light, you know, trying to escape, but not being able to, which is what we see that, that insane kind of ring of, of of like light around this giant, you know, massive nothingness, pretty incredible. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's,
2: I think the one thing that's sort of not realistic is that you know eventually they he, you know, the hero travels into the black hole because that's kind of like the point, right? Is he, that's that's you know trying to <laughs> get whatever well, so, the quantum data in there, which of course in 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 real life it, by the time you can see a black hole with your naked eye you would get sucked into it so fast that you're you're basically your atoms would split as you were sucked well, so, into it <laughs>
1: yeah and, and again this is all theoretical because we, we've never dr- thrown anything into a black hole this is you know I, but just based on obviously uh highly educated scientific inferences but um yeah y- uh, from the, the ending of this movie is a little weird uh, well maybe we should save that but basically i, I I don't know a hundred percent if, if he went into the black hole un uh, unassisted, like meaning like he, he, he obviously ended up in the Tesseract of these fifth dimensional beings. So I, it, the question is whether or not they basically put him into the Tesseract without letting him really feel the effects of the black hole while also feeding him the gravitational data, which they must've had to begin with. The, but thereby leaving the question of like why even go into the black hole to begin with into the but I don't know well, well it, let's,
2: it's it's you know I think it's sort of like the wormhole too is you have these massive um, points of gravity that are are so powerful that they can affect time and suddenly you know this becomes the sort of the focal point where he's able to uh you know he's still floating out there in space but at the same time he's trapped in a bookshelf (laughs) right so it's like (laughs) it's it's sort of a conduit they don't really ever really explain it exactly but i don't think we need to you know because we understand that like we're we're entering another you know an area of of theoretical physics we don't understand and you know and then at the same time we're also uh you know sort of playing around the idea of of you know, we can stretch, we can bend time, we can't run it backwards. But what do we have that transcends time? Love, right? And and ex- just everything that sort of implies, where it's like we don't have to know every single thing, we don't have to have every single thing explained to us.
1: Yeah, well, and that was another thing a lot of people had a big issue with, where we're basically. People inferred because of the, the the kind of awkward speech that uh, Anne Hathaway gives that like humanity was saved by the power of love, and it's really not the case. I mean, if you actually look at the the this the explanation of what the fifth dimensional beings are and what the Tesseract is, it basically it, they gave him the conduit to to provide the information to Earth to in order to save themselves. It wasn't that they were saved by. The power of love necessarily they just no, well, she,
2: eat, she gave that speech in when they were trying to decide which planet they would go to because they only had enough time and fuel to do one and every you know what it was every hour they spent on one of these planets was going to be seven years for everyone else so it was, she was trying to try yeah. make a, a just d- trying a to be like because Yo, me- <laughs> she you know she was in love with one of them and yeah. that's the one she wanted to go to. And
1: turns out that you should have gone to that one because uh, Matt Damon, huge fucking dickhead in this movie, oh, <laughs> just, man. Just, he, he came down just, with a case of space dimension like I've never seen before. <laughs> <laughs> just yeah, just just fucking Mark Watney, fresh off of his his return from his his marooning on Mars, just really I don't know, went off the deep end and fucking. Um, you know what's crazy is that this movie I think came out in the same year or like right right before uh the Martian. Before.
2: Yeah. But yeah, it but so it was pretty
1: like on somebody the heels. calculated
2: how much money it cost to rescue Matt Damon and all the different movies he's had to be rescued. <laughs> I mean, it was in like the trillions. <laughs> trillions of
1: dollars to save. Yeah. I mean it's gotta be incalculable when you factor that he's in another dimension or another galaxy or yeah. That's another you know, the 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 whole dimensions versus well so all right before we get too ahead of ourselves let's let's kind of talk real quick about the earth stuff before he actually ends up leaving uh earth because that's the kind of backbone of why this movie is happening even though it's maybe you know less interesting than the rest of the movie i don't think the movie really gets going until they get into space but um you know the whole idea is that humanity and in the uh, semi-distant future it's it's it's, you know it's recognizable but it's clearly uh you know sometime into the future to the point where we've uh developed some additional technologies like you know the the TARS robots which I guess were used in 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 battle because at one point he yells at when you still think you're marine pal when he's like being interrogated by Mm, uh yeah by by TARS which I thought was really goofy but um but you know amusing uh so you know that I, I think the movie kind of is at its weakest on earth just because Nolan I don't think his his strong suit is necessarily uh, one-on-one dialogue you know like which is not you know again that's also not George Lucas's strong suit but he made up for it in other ways and I think Nolan very much makes up for it in other ways in his films but he he's I mean, you know I, I don't know if it's just a thing with British people where they're just not nearly as in touch emotionally they're just a lot more stunted you know and i'm obviously i'm generalizing but but That's you know what i mean like they're just they're, but I they're mean, just a what, very what, what stuffy they're very what, what, what stuffy what about game of bunch. thrones what are you talking about <laughs> all, yeah but it's written all by all I'd a bunch see. of fucking yankees though uh, yeah it's, yeah it's too. we're <laughs> still
2: talking about a director here though we're talking about a director um yeah i mean it's it's there's some scenes in the beginning where the the dialogue just kind of you know is is driving the story so you know what's going on yeah Um, well it's just very it it can
1: it's very heavy-handed some of the exposition in the opening especially some of the um uh third rock from the sun guys dialogue uh, who is a great actor and i can't remember his name but uh, john lithgow john lithgow yeah a lot of lithgow's dialogue is just really fucking like guys you really that could have used a second pass like you know but whatever it's fine like it i think nolan was not super interested in the earth stuff he was just like let's get get him into fucking space like let's that that whole scene really took about 15 minutes it felt like to get him into space and it was just like mm. we're yeah
2: we're, we're done with well, earth. Like, i mean it's a little there was a few things that i was just kind of like wait what and one of them was where um he goes to the the school Oh, to have God. Uh, the meeting with the, yeah, yeah. the principal and the teacher, and they're like, "Oh, we don't, we don't teach that the moon landing was real <laughs> in textbooks anymore." It's like, what are you talking about? You have the fucking it's, internet in this future world; like anyone can fucking look at it. Like, oh, if we don't put it in the textbooks, no one will know. Like, what? <laughs> it, it, it's <laughs>
1: unclear to me whether or not they believe that the moon landing was faked or not.
2: Like, the, no, the, 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 I don't think the they did. But it was. It's like, do you realize that in the future, where you have talking robots, you probably still have the internet, and kids can look it up there. the other one was so bizarre yeah the the uh the the you know when they um acquiesce this uh drone that's been flying around for years apparently on like a little nuclear power uh thing that they they like do some coordinate thingy and then they just drive out and they get they they find this secret underground nasa installation it was like apparently within just a couple miles of their house and they didn't notice like you know all the trucks and infrastructure that would be required to build that and that's just like <laughs> right in their own county it's like it's yeah, like the underground russian much. base in in stranger things stranger under the mall in like, Stranger. <laughs> you didn't you didn't happen to notice that being excavated for you know months or years to build that like how do you not <laughs> see it uh, anyway. well, so
1: I, but but actually, I don't actually know that civilian Internet does exist in, in the world of Interstellar because there's no need for it to exist when it's, it's a much more agrarian, like simple life. Like, you know, you could see, see a theoretical world where I can't imagine that much entertainment or pop culture exists in, in the universe of Interstellar. So I don't know. The, the Internet may not. It may not. It may exist, but it may not be commercially used. It might just be, you know, for military use now. In that They never, you'd think they would touch on it. It doesn't matter. It's just, like yeah, it doesn't the, matter. It's just an interesting world building note that I was like, that's a weird beat, but okay. Yeah.
2: And that's <laughs> one of the weird things about Nolan's films too, is that even though it's, you see other people like at a baseball game, like you know that, you know, we live in a society, uh, you get the Yankee the, game, by the way. <laughs> right. It feels very closed off from society. It's not like world war Z where it's like showing you things going on all over the world or you know Spider-Man where it's like here's the news up on the side of the building and everyone's watching it and you feel like you you feel connected to everyone and sort of meta aware of what's happening all over and you never have that with his films it's always very it's very subjective to the characters and what they're telling you about the world
1: yeah which would work better if he was better at like personal interaction if he was better at like emotional one-on-one story beats but like his he creates It's kind of the weird paradox of Nolan is that he creates these incredible, uh, worlds where like, I want a whole movie about the backstory of, of inception and the technology behind it and how, what, what that is, the effect of that is on society. And it's like, no, it's a story about like five people and the same with interstellar. It's like, this is an incredible situation that, that earth is faced with where basically all this food stopped, uh, growing i guess it's kind of unclear basically that they're having trouble growing anything but corn and then the corn's starting to die off but basically it's just incredible food insecurity and food scarcity and you know society society basically is collapsing you know probably due to climate change although that's not really touched on in the movie that was always my assumption is that mass drought led to all of this you know this crop uh crop death and you know food scarcity but it's also like what what is going on in the rest of the world right now and that's like he's like yeah i don't give a fuck let's just (laughs) you know it's so it's an interesting thing with Mm -hmm. nolan where he will create these interesting movies and then just be like yeah i don't none of that interests me let's let's tell this uh individual story but you know what i will say uh slightly contrary to what i've been saying so far about his interactions is i really think the thing that works the best in this movie on a character basis is uh, Matthew McConaughey's interactions with his daughter Murph. And I think that was really well uh, done, you know, from her childhood through adulthood in this movie. I really liked uh, the, the earth stuff that he had with, like, I I thought that was the most resonant uh, emotional uh, storytelling in the movie to me. Absolutely. I mean, that's the
2: backbone of it, right? Um, That's, that's, you know, it's, he doesn't have a wife right the, the mm-hmm. there's no mother there um you know it it's one of the things that Steven Spielberg always said he regretted about close encounters of the third kind is that he has the 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 guy leave his family behind. He's like the, the biggest end.
1: dick of all time to his pet to his family.
2: Right, but it's like that's, how, that's how, like, yeah, how much fuck you guys. this on <laughs> yeah, that's how much it meant to him. Even if it was some kind of mind control thing, that he he was just like, I've got to go do this, right? Yeah, and and that's what I love about that. That's how they end it. And Steven Spielberg's like, Oh, I would never do that today. I'm like that's because you're not a good director anymore, Steven. <laughs> that's true. Uh, so <laughs> you know, in 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 that that you know when he quotes that. Uh, Newton's third law. Like, well, why do you why do you have to jettison the the thing to escape the gravity? And he's like, Newton's third law. You got to leave something behind. And every time they leave one of the planets, somebody gets killed, and they're leaving somebody behind each time too. And of course, when he first leaves Earth, he's leaving his daughter behind. So the the physics of how they have to you know jettison to get out, get out into space is you know it's sort of an allegory for leaving people behind that you may never see again, right? Or that you don't see For the see greater
1: again. good of society, too, like to save well, the entire human race. You know, th- for the chance at saving the human race. Like. Sure, of
2: course. But she doesn't understand that. And he even says, oh, like, course, I, yeah. I didn't want to tell her that because then she's going to worry every day that I'm not here. You know, that she's yeah. gonna she's going to feel like the world's coming to an end at the same time as I'm not there for her. Right so you know and, and go, just going back to the theme of time, which is a big theme of of all the Nolan's films, uh, that that um, that separation between him and his daughters, what makes you, have this heightened sense of, of fear and dread every second that goes by in this movie because you realize exactly.
1: it's an hour is seven years so the whole time you're like fuck come on hurry up hurry up you got to get back to your daughter while she's still you know young enough <clears throat> yeah. for you to, to be with um, her and it's like that that it's, scene it's, yeah well uh, just, just there's an incredible emotional beat in this movie so you know the first uh, we, we see a lot of like driving early on in the movie with, with, McC- with McConaughey, uh, driving and, you know, through cornfields I, and he, it,
2: it's in his rider. He has to, he has to be driving,
1: <laughs> not a Lincoln though. It was some kind of a Ford Dodge, whatever pickup truck. But he, um, so, and you know, the, the scene where he, he's driving out to these coordinates, they, they find these coordinates in the, in the dust lines left from the, uh, storm, And uh, Murph, his daughter, hides under, like, a stack of maps and, like, pops out and, you know, scares him. Um, And there's this amazing beat, like, when he's, after he says goodbye to her and, you know, it's this really emotional, sad scene. And he's driving away and Hans Zimmer's score is swelling. And he kind of just does this real subtle little, like, looks under the pile of papers, like, to the right of him. And he just starts fucking, like, bawling. And it just cuts right from that to him in the spaceship taking Mm -hmm. off. And I, it's just such an incredible emotional beat, you know, it's like that, that to me was like the height of the movie for, in terms of that, uh, that, that, you know, that story between the two characters, although there's another great moment later that I think gets unfairly maligned. But I, I I think that that, uh, that was Nolan really working against his, his usual, his usual weakness in in that interaction. And maybe that's because he has a daughter
2: yeah, yeah and, and we've seen so many going to space movies where it's like oh now they're at the station and now they're going up the thing to the top and now they're sitting there waiting for the count it's like we don't need to see all that shit like the hit the, the hit the emotional beat and then fucking get your ass to mars right <laughs> so mm-hmm. uh I, I i did like that i love that um you know during a lot of those tense scenes uh i mean that's not it's not necessarily dramatically tense scenes emotionally um rot scene but yeah uh the, the you mentioned zimmer's score which really is its own character in this film um Incredible. i feel like yeah. it borrowed very heavily from uh some philip glass stuff especially his score from Squatsy, in mm-hmm. a few key moments especially with, like some of like the really big pipe organ stuff uh which you don't get as nearly as many pipe organ scores as you should have for as dramatic of a, I mean, everyone knows the inception horns now, now, right. And everyone rips God. that off, but somehow no one's ripping off the, the fucking cathedral organ. Uh,
1: but, uh, there was a couple of key scenes where you need to, you need to, you need to be worthy of that though. Like if you, if you do that with like a shitty right. like movie, it's like, what the fuck are you doing guy? Like, well, come fucking
2: on flying to a black visuals hole, need, you can, you can your visuals need to be worth organs. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can, uh but yeah there was a couple of key scenes um some of the more uh, tense dramatic you know t- uh, clock is ticking scenes where uh the beats per minute were exactly 60 beats per minute for those sections of the score to really mm-hmm. like
1: make you feel more <laughs> aware of time than you probably were mm-hmm. yeah no absolutely um yeah he yeah he he really did an incredible job with this and i think he he totally. Uh, was very inspired by Philip Glass for this entire score, like, and it's not his typical, you know, scoring style. Because you lo- you look at a lot of the sh- uh, w- What he really kind of came on the map for, from what I knew him from, and from I think what a lot of people knew him from, were were like the early Pirates of the Caribbean uh, movies. He he did the scores for those, and that's c- could not be any further from the shit that he does for for Nolan's movies. So he's really, I don't know if I would say diversified, because like you said, it is very heavily inspired by philip glass but it really it really works for this movie uh and i think it it really just adds a whole nother dimension to the to the film and i don't think it would be nearly the same movie without that incredible anthemic score like that scene where i was talking about where he's in the in the car and he's you know bawling his eyes out and then it cuts right to him in the in the space uh in in the in the ship you know taking off it's just such an incredible rising score it, it, and everything about that scene is, is incredible. Um, and also likewise, the scene where they're docking, where the ship is like after, uh, dickhead, Matt Damon, you know, tries to, <laughs> tries to steal the space station, I guess, and blows it up. Uh, and then they, so they're trying to dock with this space station that's spinning wildly out of control, you know, rotating way too fast. The score in that scene is incredible. Like to just just the the tension ratcheting, you know. For and it's only like a two, three minute scene from the the part where they're you know actually trying to to dock with it, but it just it feels like fucking forever. And that's you know a real testament to his uh, his score. Yeah, I mean
2: this this is one of the scores that I will listen to by itself just for fun. Like there's not many film scores that I'll sit on and be like, you know what, I want to listen start to finish to the the score to you know to this movie or that movie. It's like. um yeah. Uh, Star Armageddon. Trek: True Rathacon is one of them. Um, another one is uh, Under the Skin with Scarlett Johansson. That's one of the most terrifying, like horror sci-fi films, uh, and the score. Honorary to it person
1: was... of color, Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> yeah.
2: Um, yeah, she's a tree. She's a tree now. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this is definitely this this score. I may have heard it before I saw the movie. It might have been one of those where it's like, hey, check out the score. It's fucking <clears throat> phenomenal, and, and then yeah. went and saw the film with it. But uh, yeah, it. It's it's definitely up there. And and I'm not a big Horner fan um, because I'm actually a much bigger Philip Glass fan. <laughs> and I was kind of mm-hmm. like, hey, you brought a little bit. But uh, yeah, you, you you did mention that you've never seen Koyana Squatsy, Godfrey Regions film. Yeah. yeah. How did you graduate film school without
1: ever having been forced to watch Quina and Squatsy? <laughs> well,
2: that's <laughs> I two that years of possible. film
1: school. So that's, pro- but I also, um, did, we didn't do a lot of like film. Th- well, I mean, we didn't do a ton of film theory and that was like more, we did more practical like shooting mm, and things like that, okay. you know,
2: <clears throat> but no, um, well, I, I went to an art film school and it was like at least two different teachers tried showed us that. And it was, <laughs> it's good. It's good. It's just, you know, it's like, it's kind of old and it's it's it is what it is check it out yeah. sometime though
1: yeah, yeah well um but yeah i mean nolan so and you know even the trailer like the trailer that i, I that was my favorite of the of the trailers that i played i i went through them all cuz i remember this specific trailer was the first theatrical trailer that aired after like the teaser which they they almost tell you nothing in the teaser the first teaser mm-hmm. was like a bunch of old space footage like you know walter cronkite and shit like that so, yeah, and it said from Chris Nolan. So I remember seeing that in theaters and being like, oh, fuck. Chris Nolan in space, like, you know, sign me up. That was like right after Inception. Mm-hmm. I think it was also right after like Dark Knight Rises or, or whatever. But, um, which was his weakest of the three, but still, you know, had a, had its own really good moments. <laughs> I'm going to have to disagree there, because you put Anne Hathaway in anything, and I'm going to
2: like it 10% more, so. Uh, I know, but dude, yeah. that movie had some real
1: good... Oh, let's <laughs> send all the cops underground. Like, every single cop in the entire fucking G- 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 GCPT. In crawls fucking- into a tunnel at the same time. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> Gee, do this doesn't seem book. like a trap. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, but, but, it, no, but in, you know, it had its own good moments. Yeah. Anyway... But, um, but so, and I remember sitting in theaters, I didn't even remember what movie it was in front of and seeing this trailer. And I was like, this looks fucking incredible. Like that Hans Zimmer score that Michael Caine, you know, reading the do not go quietly into the, into the good night poem, like just, just an incredible ethereal, uh, selection of shots and, and, uh, dialogue. And it's like, what is this fucking movie about? This movie looks incredible. So That's something that I'm that that I remember just being like, I have to see this immediately. Um, And, you know, it it didn't it didn't fail to deliver. So that's, you know, very few filmmakers can can really garner that reaction from, I think, when when you see like a trailer for something that you didn't know was coming out, you know, and that's something I, I also think that's kind of to me, this was one of the last movies I remember where you didn't hear anything about it coming out and you didn't you did like it was just like you don't get that experience anymore because everything is fucking you know here's the teaser for the teaser trailer the teaser trailer is dropping tomorrow here's right. the teaser for the like it's just so fucking overdone now because we're all extremely online and i and in 2014 like i wasn't on t- uh, twitter yet i like was barely on facebook like it's very it felt like the last of a kind of an analog era where you would just go to a theater and see a trailer and not have heard of the movie it was previewing and being like, "Holy shit, that looks fucking awesome!" Oh, I know. You I, I like really the theater that now,
2: actually. and every trailer they show before the movie at the theater, you've already you've seen watched it online. Yeah,
1: uh-huh.
2: <laughs> it, it's it's really kind of takes the fun out of it. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's. It is what it is, but you, um, yeah, aside, you have like but... a like a setup of uh, the scenes that you wanted to go into in more in depth,
1: or are you just kind of spitballing? Well, uh, yeah, I just kind of wanted to jump around to kind of the stuff we we enjoyed. We sure. could talk about you know maybe we could talk about kind of each each planet. I think would be an interesting setup. So obviously, you know, the the movie is set up where. Uh, he finds NASA in a, in a, in a bunker and um, they tell him that like, uh, there's a wormhole, you know, in our galaxy. It's, a, he's basically like, you know, we, 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 we found these habitable oh, habitable planets right
2: in our solar system, in right wormhole. in our solar system rather. Yeah. They parked it right next to, to Jupiter. Uh, just like, uh, the, the, uh, where pretty much everything takes place in 2010, I don't know if you ever saw that one. The the I haven't
1: actually seen 2010. I've seen 2001. 2010,
2: honestly, but. 2010 is it's nothing like 2001. It's a much more conventional 80s kind of a thing, uh-huh. but it actually holds up really well. Uh, I watched yeah. it a couple years ago for the first time in like maybe 20 years, um, and it's it it's actually really good. And they you know how everyone plays against expectation um, with their like robot or android or ai computer now because Mm -hmm. we all have this this like terrible fear of them because of 2001 2001. yeah right (laughs) exactly 2010 also plays against your expectation because they they go back to the ship. And they wake up Hal and they're like, hey, Hal, what'd you do? And he's like, oh, I killed everybody because that's what my mission directive was. And they're like, oh, hey, could you not do that again? And he's like, <laughs> I'll work on it. <laughs> so the whole time you're like, uh, so Hal might kill everyone again. <laughs> like, you don't know. Um, so, yeah, it's 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 definitely uh, worth checking out or revisiting um, as a yeah. sort of underappreciated sequel to a uh, uh, very well appreciated
1: masterpiece speaking of uh underappreciated 80s have you ever seen capricorn one that's a I, um, fucking weird ass no, with oj that one
2: oh yeah no i haven't seen it <laughs> <laughs>
1: you yeah, know it, it, it's one of it's it's an oj simpson uh masterpiece basically it's about like the, nasa like fake some uh, uh mars landing and then like the the the, the pilots from the mars landing uh are like they're trying to kill them, so they're on the run through the desert. It, it's a real weird fucking movie, but yeah, OJ plays one of the astronauts in it. It's a, it's yeah. a real eighties shit fest, but yeah, I um, won't but, watch that one. But yeah, yeah nah, but, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah. So uh, you know, and so they they say you know, well, d- yeah, there's this there's this wormhole in our in our solar system, uh, and and he's like, well, how the fuck did it get there? And basically, all they can answer is they put it there. They don't know who they is necessarily but some intelligent beings put this there to help us continue human humankind because you know they must have known that our planet was dying and that we needed habitable hab- habitable I don't know why that word's so fucking hard right now habitable habitable worlds <laughs> fucking goddamn habitable worlds for, for the human race to live on and they put this galaxy within our reach through this wormhole uh, that had, I think, they said up to twelve potential habitable planets, um, and they sent a team. They sent teams in, uh, three teams, I believe, uh, to you know check these planets out. And uh, that's basically, you know, they haven't heard back from any of them, so they wanted to send another team up to kind of go into that galaxy so they can at least relay with that with the data that they were transmitting and figure out which it shows the most promise and to go and rescue that astronaut and then potentially you know either restart to, you know he talks about plan a and plan b either hopefully they their their idea is they need to figure out the gravitational equation that will let them lift this in massive spaceship into space and keep it running indefinitely and self-sustainingly um to, and to bring you know a good chunk of human uh humankind with them um although all you see is white people from iowa so i'm not really sure what who actually got to go on that ship but that's a that's another question for another movie i guess um, i mean christian
2: Nolan is british so there's that yeah, um yeah right. and then then the plan b was of course to bring a bunch of sperm and eggs and keep them on ice just, in case they yeah, restart you know, the human
1: race basically exactly um, so obviously plan a w- was, was, preferable because you could save, you know, mi- millions or billions of people, depending on how many people were left on the earth at that point, um, versus starting from scratch. So, um, but they never thought, but that's kind of the, one of the things that you find out later on is that, uh, Michael Kane, who's one of the, I, I guess he was the director of NASA or, you know, one of their chief scientists never thought he was going to be able to figure out the gravitational equation. So he really was just sending them up there for plan B to begin with. Um, but you can't tell somebody that because that's super fucking bleak and nobody would want to leave the family they knew if they knew they would absolutely never get a chance to see them again. Right. Um, so that was kind of the, the, the Dick movie pulled on Coop, but little did he know, you know, that, uh, some advanced form of human beings actually put the wormhole there for us. And we're, we're trying to help, you know, Cooper figure out the equation to get humankind into the sky and that's mm-hmm. really a parallel that's kind of the paradox of the film potentially i mean it really depends on how you look at time travel in in movies and and paradoxes and whether or not it's a multiverse situation versus like a you know single timeline where you're affecting you know the butterfly effect versus uh etc that's the kind of confusing part to me but i think if you th- view it in terms of they are fifth dimensional beings, so they're they're multi dimensional beings, so it's possible they're also uh from a different it's basically they're from the multiverse they're from a different
2: uh
1: dimension than we are so well, that's they- what they think at
2: first that's what they think at first, but you know when it gets to the end, Matthew McConaughey basically says, "Oh, it was us
1: it was us, we're, but we're the ones that did this." But then, like, how would they survive if it's if it's on the same trajectory as Matt? Like, there's no way Matthew McConaughey, like, that, there's no way humankind survives without the help of that future race. Or that future, the future, that future race p- is,
2: is us once we figured out how to do things with gravity that we didn't know how to do yet.
1: Because but like, gravity and how, time
2: are always linked.
1: <laughs> yeah. But, like, how would we have figured that out if we all died off before that? You know, like, it's just a... Unless Chicken they're the positing that, like we don't know. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> that's the 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 parrot, that's the the biggest you know thing with time travel movies is, but that's why I think it's actually a lot neater of a bow to put on it if you say they are multi-dimensional beings, so they are actually from a parallel uh, you know uh, reality to ours, and they realize that you know in their in their timeline their species maybe didn't kill the planet and maybe figured out. Uh, all of these these futuristic. So uh, was it was a wormhole;
2: it was just the time stone floating out there in space, and we just had to go. <laughs> no, no,
1: no. Exploring. It was a wormhole, but if they're multi, if they're so know, fucking, know. Adv- you know, just, it's, it's it's it it, it, it you could multi-canon. make your fucking head hurt, make your head hurt if you try to figure out the 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 you know <laughs> the spider web of how this actually works. But so, with all that being said, we should talk about the individual planets. um So you know, they go into this and in, through the wormhole into this other galaxy. You know, without the use of faster than light travel, which was something that Christopher and I was reading a little bit about, kind of like trivia for the movie. Christopher Nolan's original script had faster faster than light travel, and Kip Thorne was like, "Yeah, that's really not ever going to be a thing." Like, I know it's like a cool sci-fi thing, but like, there's no, it it just doesn't exist. There's no there's no method of propulsion that we could use to to create faster than light travel. Like, it's just it's just beyond theoretical. It's just not. (laughs) A thing. Well, so, I mean, we think that about everything until we
2: figure out a way to do it, right? Like, traveling faster than the speed of sound was considered I mean, like, I'm impossible. Not a, I'm not uh, a, I'm not know, a there, space surgeon, as I said. There's but... it, subatomic <laughs> particles that can travel faster than, than the speed of light, and we already know that. It's just, it's like...
1: You got to you got to, you know, Ant-Man that shit, and get down to the, the quantum level to get that's, inside the thing. Yeah. To, but <laughs> I, I just so, think it's so beyond our comprehension that it would be maybe thousands of years into the future that we could figure this out. But, well, you know, who knows? And it's I mean, also
2: not the point of the film. The point of the film is that it's it's not death. It's a killer. It's time. That's the
1: killer. Yeah, right. It's, <coughs> it's up working it's out better than denied. What's that? Well, it ended up working out better that he didn't build the 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 space travel in the film around faster than light because that was his original idea. And Kip Thorne's like, "Yeah, I'm not going to work on the movie if that's what we're going to do because right. it's just not well, possible. It, Let's build it around thing, this instead."
2: It it is for us time travel because of the gravity dilation, right? Like they go out <laughs> down to that planet that's orbiting this gargantuan black hole. And, you know, they got the giant waves and they come back up and they left a guy behind. He drowned. No, that, right? exactly. And 23 years so, just went by. So that, I mean, effectively is time travel. And they it's really, really bad because they realize like they've just missed out on like his entire children's adolescence is gone. Well, so,
1: well, no, yeah, that's what I mean. So originally <laughs> Nolan wanted to build build the travel not around time necessarily, but around faster than light travel. And he was saying like look let's use einstein's theory of relativity and use time dilation use these wormholes things that are theoretically possible and that ended up being a much more poignant movie because of that because of like you know the the time dilation aspect of of the black hole and being that close to the to the black hole and you know really uh the the the, the time dilation where you know an hour of time on on one of those planets is like you said 7 years like in, in on earth so that ended up being a really interesting emotional you know crux for the movie that wouldn't have existed if Nolan maybe had gotten his initial <laughs> initial way so that's actually kind of a happy accident. I feel accident. like yeah that
2: that scene is one of the you know, when you really feel the loss, that's
1: incredible. Yeah.
2: When so that's, they, and that's they come back and it's like, yeah, you've got mail and it's like, Oh, you've got 700 messages. Message one. Well, you son of a bitch, you missed my
1: birthday. <laughs> He's just like, <laughs> Oh fuck. And she's so. young still. She's like, still, you know? And yeah. And then just to watch him sit there and watch her, you know, age 30 years, you know, in, in, in the span of, you know, two minutes while he's watching all of these videos of her, you know, and it's just fucking heartbreaking and his, you know, his reaction. So like, uh, so moving in that scene. And that's, and that's kind of like a thing that's become like a bit of a meme, like him crying in that scene, but it's actually a really fucking emotional scene. So I, you know, I, and We're I get just it too
2: cynical. We're so fucking we cynical. It, it, we can't like such appreciate fucking, something yeah. for like the real emotion. Like you can't say anything, you know, just either imagine Anne Hathaway's like, speech talking about the power of love people people mocked that too it's like don't be so fucking cynical like don't be so fucking afraid of intimacy all right like just have a real moment let it let it affect you emotionally
1: the um yeah no, no i agree and and yeah and again i think that was really i mean just imagine you you like for whatever reason you you know you're 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 in suspended animation whatever it is and you wake up and just 30 years of your life and your entire family just like is is fucking gone like that that it's such an interesting beat that you can only do in a movie like this so i i really thought that that was like a really underrated aspect of this movie that that little uh you know kind of story arc that that's like really uh Yes, yeah, so I, I just always got a kind of annoyed when that became like a, a meme where like, you know, crying right. McConaughey well, for everything. But like, whatever. Right? just She, she gives this
2: speech about why love is so important and how, you know, love might be the one thing we have that transcends time. And the whole time there, the, the movie, you know, is trying to make the point that we're, we're, you know, we're fighting against time our whole lives. We're constantly trying to figure out ways to, uh, to beat time. Right. But time is constant, or at least it's moving always in one direction at varying speeds. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. We can't do anything about that. We can't fight that. But we have in some ways. What we, the, the things we've done to, to ourselves, um, maybe extend our own lives a couple of years. Right. But we've created immortality through things like language and music and architecture and films. Right. Like we're so like everything we do is obsessed with the idea of beating time by trying to have a legacy that goes beyond our own lives. Right. And, and that's really the you look at the very beginning of that, the very first technology we created, language, linguistics, like we we we've been we haven't really evolved in about one million years. Right. Like we've had the same fingers and arms and brains are a little bit taller yeah. now, but you could take a, a person from a million years ago and they, 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 they could do ben anything. Shapiro.
1: What's that? I said, some of us are I don't know about what happened to Ben Shapiro, but yes, I'm sorry. Right. Continue. So we believe that spoken language goes back about 150,000
2: years. So that means, so you know what? 850,000 years that we haven't really physically evolved. We had the capacity for language but we hadn't invented it yet. Language is like the first technology we invented. And why would we do that when, you know, other, other species probably, you know, they have languages too. We don't know enough about other languages, species, dolphins, birds, to know really uh, if that has always been a thing they've had as part of their evolution or if it was like a very sudden thing that they started to do. But we know it was very sudden with us because everything started to change after that. Right. And there's a lot of theories about the origins of language. I was reading about this all day today. Uh, You know, why, why is, why was our vocalization? uh, Why did it become so complex all at once, you know, or over the course of we're talking maybe a couple thousand years, right? It's because Mm -hmm. it was a thing we invented. We created it out of nothingness, right? Like taking just the, the grunts and, Screams and and yells and forming that into something that was much more complex was was a very deliberate thing that human beings did, uh, and I feel like that's that's you know when you when you start to create stuff like that, it, it's it comes from I think awareness of time, right? That you can't beat time, that you're going to die, <laughs> and you gotta you gotta do something more and leave a legacy there that will be there and defy the laws of time
1: yeah yeah no for sure um so yeah i fell down sure. a rabbit hole today researching shit. So <laughs> <laughs> forgive me <laughs> i mean we could get into an even deeper rabbit hole if we want to start talking about the origins of human you know civilization and things like that i was, i was um, like super fascinated by where we actually came from like on a microbial level and you know the whole idea of like you know Mars at some point having sustained uh, some sort of life, and maybe if like some kind of microbial. You know oh, we know asteroid. there's at least microbes out there still. Yeah.
2: Um, well, I like
1: I, I, really like the concept of, and, and a lot of you know people have kind of made interesting arguments for how our the, the the building box of our civilization could have come from microbial you know leavings on asteroids that came from a once way more habitable know, fucking fucking up that word today uh <laughs> mars when it was you know i'm not saying they they were like an advanced civilization but like just you know just the the building blocks of life which are present and well, you know i can tell you why there's the not life on
2: mars anymore now well would i mean like, would you like me to go into it <laughs> all well, right i so mean qu- is there a theory, of theory that science basically lesson. Yeah. Uh, yeah, go. Yeah, wait, 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 let me hear your theory first.
1: Well, no, I, 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 I'm. This is just out of memory, but I think I thought that they theorized that at one point, you know, Mars may have been struck by a massive uh, crater that essentially, or a, a massive asteroid that, you know, through, you know, uh, caused a, a way more significant extinction event uh, yeah. than ours, coupled with the That's fact the- that they have a much different atmospheric makeup, and it wasn't nearly as nope.
2: It's not that they don't have an atmosphere makeup. It's that they don't have an atmosphere. And the reason they don't have an atmosphere on a planet that's only a little bit smaller than Earth is that uh, the solar winds blow it away, right? Or blew it away. And why the solar winds blow it away? Because Mars is a very weak electromagnetic field around it. And the reason that is is because it has a solid core or close to a solid core. We have a liquid core and a solid surface, Those two things moving against each other gives Earth a very strong electromagnetic field that protects the atmosphere from solar winds. The reason why we have a molten core and a solid crust that are grinding against each other making that electromagnetic field is because we have a very large moon very close to us that's pulling on us. So that gravity of our moon is what gives us the stronger electromagnetic field that protects our atmosphere. If we didn't have such a big moon so close to us, there would not be life on this planet yeah
1: good to know it's incredible how much it's incredible how much shit has to happen how much shit has to be
2: perfect to get here to get to this point where we have intelligent life we can have this conversation about all this shit so and yeah just imagine if something hit our moon and blew the moon up we'd be fucked our atmosphere would be gone within a few months
1: didn't didn't that fucking mora? didn't elon musk talk about like nuking the moon recently i I don't remember exactly what in what or no no i'm sorry they were talking about nuking mars to try to terraform it uh which you know i mean i'm not again i'm not a space surgeon but i I don't understand the the concept behind nuking the core i guess maybe they're thinking like nuke the core to melt the frozen water i don't have any idea what they thought they were doing, I have no in idea. The caps, but it's, the polar ice caps.
2: To, it, it's it's fucking stupid. It's not gonna. Yeah, this. What are you gonna? People don't understand is it's not just the temperature or the makeup of the atmosphere. It's it's like once you have no
1: atmosphere, you can't just make one, right? Like it's it's a dead rock. <laughs> I mean, no, we'd be living there's, in there's, terraformed like domes. Are you know we'd be living in biodomes, sure. like
2: right? It, just people don't. They haven't. They're not like obsessed with. Uh, with uh, astronomy the way I am, uh, and they don't understand the relationship between uh, the electromagnetic field of a planet and protecting its atmosphere and the molten core uh, that is necessary to get that. And to get that molten core, you almost always have to have a a large uh, secondary gravitational pull on that planet so that it's constantly, you know pulling the, the the crust a little bit faster than the center of the planet. So that's why we have tectonic shift, very, very gradual. But yeah, it's because of the moon. It's because we have a great big fucking moon. And they think that our moon is actually used to be two moons that crashed into each other like 3 billion years ago.
1: Hmm. That's awesome. Yeah.
2: Cool. I know. Isn't it great to learn all this shit on a podcast that's supposed to be about a movie?
1: <laughs> well, you know, speaking of habitable worlds, I'm going to get this right without fucking it up on the first <laughs> <laughs> first I don't attempt. Think it's at it's one not point. gonna happen. <clears throat> it's just it, I'm in my head about it now. So, you know, of the three planets to go to, they go to uh, I think Miller's planet first, which is the uh, water, water world, not to be confused with the uh, Kevin Co- Kevin Costner classic uh, 1996 picture. But um, yeah, so they go to this planet um, <clears throat> that you know they haven't heard from from Miller, but they 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 think it's promising. The data looks promising. Uh, and they go there, and they realize real quick, well, yeah, there's water here, uh, and there seems to be some sort of atmosphere, but uh, it, it, you can't fucking sustain life here because the – I guess because of the gravitational effects of – was it because of, of being so close to Gargantua that the waves were so insanely – That's it, what it was, they- they didn't say that in the movie, but I think that was sort of implied that um,
2: you know they get there in the waters like the entire ocean's only two feet deep. Like, how's that possible? They just st- and, yeah, they just stand and, on and it, and then you see this mountain coming. and Actually, it's a wave that's you know six hundred feet high, um, and and literally it's you know supposed to be a tidal wave because of the gravity of these black holes creating these massive massive waves on it. Uh, you'd think they would have like done some aerial recon and had would have seen that. That's the weird thing, just yeah, plopping
1: down on there, <laughs> like, all right, like, gee, there's no land anywhere whatsoever. Hmm, this might not be <laughs> it's like. There's only you know, there's
2: no <laughs> like it, you wouldn't have like. Mapped it seems like the, you'd be able to see those, yeah, see, those, see those waves from space. Yeah, you could probably see see those waves from space, or, or <laughs> even when you're just maybe a couple miles up, would have noticed a, a giant 600. Foot
1: long wave across the horizon, because, well, because th- theoretically, you know, if it's a gravitational effect on the planet, then those waves are just constantly going at some spot on the on the planet, you know, the planetary body. So, right, it is, it is, it's odd that, yeah, but whatever. I mean, it's a movie, so, but you know that, but that was a cool incredible visual uh so obviously that planet wasn't wasn't up to snuff and just being there and having to try to escape the 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 tidal wave they lost uh, uh i think what was it was like 30 years a very significant chunk of time that was that was the 23 that years. was where the yeah that was where the 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 montage came right after that with um with jessica chastain you know being his adult daughter and his uh his uh not his father his father died but his uh the the nast uh john lithgow's character you know getting super old and all that shit so uh that was you know that was a, a really uh interesting scene i really enjoyed i enjoyed all the planets that they visited you know the the different any movie that's like we're going to take you to a totally alien world and it doesn't even have to have fucking aliens on it. Just, this is a totally, you know, this is something you can't even conceive of. Like that's always, you know, sign me up as long as it's well done and it's not done by like the sci-fi channel, you know, like mm-hmm. it's actually like, you know, done in a, in a, well, big so, budget so of Hollywood. think about this.
2: Like maybe if the, if the gravity was so irregular, maybe that wave didn't exist once they were coming down, right? So say, you know, you're... If just you're, lift it, like, lift if, it up, if, kind if of. The, if, yeah, or like the time is so different that, you know, that when they were outside that planet or from a few miles up, time's so different that it, wave
1: just might not have existed at that time. <laughs> and by or the time it's you just get to imperceptible because so much time is passing on the surface that you can't... That's from, right, that's what I'm
2: saying, is, is, yeah. is you, it, when you were looking down uh you know out on your descent from say 50 miles up the the time differential was so so great that 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 wave didn't exist yet it's just right? so weird even that though, that wouldn't have a physical effect
1: there, who knows it's fucking it's, it's not, all right rel- it's all theoretical here, so. yeah <laughs> and well, yeah once you start getting into einstein's like you know theories of relative it's just fucking it boggles your mind to try to you know it just in theory if you're going down onto a, the surface of a planet where time is incredibly uh it moves at an incredibly different pace you know one every hour there seven years whatever it is or every uh 10 minute whatever it is uh it it would seem to me that you wouldn't just land on that planet and it wouldn't just look like you're you know attempting uh a, a reentry into into a normal atmosphere like it just seems like it would be a very like an, an un, undescribable process would be the visual representation but i mean you know i guess you can only work with what you can work with in a, in a movie like this um so the set, but the, so you know they obviously leave uh they lose uh mutton chops guy whose um, whose who's name i can't remember um oh, the guy from american beauty yeah yeah <laughs> West something West Bentley. Yeah, that's, his, name's, his name is the guy from American beauty. Yeah. yeah. That's all. Anyone that's, knows he has like five lines in the movie. It's, he's not important. Yeah. So sorry, um, sorry
2: if you're him and you're listening to this podcast. Sorry right if you're now. a
1: huge West Bentley fan, I apologize. But, uh, so they go back to the ship. Um, other astronaut, black dude, whose name I also don't remember, uh, didn't go into suspended animation, uh, because I guess he wanted to make sure that they, they, you know, were successful um uh so but then after that they go to uh dr man's planet so that's that, so that's when they have the big argument and that's when the Anne hathaway you know power of love conversation happens um And I, I, yeah and i think i maybe you may have sold me on it a little bit more i think maybe i was a little sick on that scene but i i don't know if me i just didn't maybe love the delivery but that's i mean that's a whole separate issue but uh But but conceptually, it does fit with the tone of the movie and the kind of themes of the movie, especially on uh, Cooper's end. And that was, you know, it's kind of weird that he didn't maybe fully agree with her based because of the fact that he kind of did this, you know, because he thought he would he would, you know, help sustain humanity for his daughter. Like, it's just weird that he would be so reticent to to Anne hathaway's speech in the in that scene because of the reason that he actually went you know into space in the first place but
2: i don't well, know he doesn't like he's he's trying to not think about it like he's trying to shut that down guess, she's yeah. trying
1: to say you know embrace it um but you know it's but it's, that's why he went though kind of in a way because he wanted to try to save humanity including his family and his daughter like he wanted to you know he wanted to save the human race like he knew that like by the time she was an adult they wouldn't be in any sort of uh, desire. I mean, they weren't in a desirable situation where as of present time for them. So like, you know, that humanity well, might not have survived for another 30 you years. Know,
2: I, am not an astronaut and I've never served on the international space station, but I would imagine that there's moments where they, people sit around and talk about existential things that even sure. if you're an astronaut, there's times we probably look out uh, down on the earth and think about love so I think it's plausible. I think it's a great scene.
1: Yeah, no, I'm. Just, I, I just don't understand why he in that scene. It was just almost a weird character beat for him to be like, "Yeah, I don't care. We're gonna do the analytical thing." Like, and I get you, like he he's trying to ignore it, but that's also kind of the reason in, he went. In he's the first in command,
2: place. and he's trying to do the right thing based on the data, right? Yeah. And she's saying, "Well, maybe there's something more than data. Maybe we've been looking at data too much, right?" So you gotta you gotta figure out like some kind of conflict there. Between the two of them, uh, just yeah, I I
1: I just think yeah that that, it it just felt to me like a like a manufactured conflict because I I would think that based on his characterization in the early uh, scenes he would have been like yeah I understand like you know he he's a really Cooper is a really interesting character we we should talk about Cooper a little bit that sidebar because. I don't know he he's just this very like folksy he's almost like kevin Costner in like field of dreams he's just got this very like you know like every man kind of uh farmer vibe, but he's also like an engineer and uh and a former pilot former did he actually pilot uh it, they're very vague on like his 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 history like basically he had some kind of a crash that he was involved in. But was that space travel or was that just like Air Force? Like, oh, it was space stuff because he he already flew for
2: NASA, and they were like, "Well, are you gonna okay, do this so mission without NASA, me," yeah. and he's like, "Yeah, we'll do it without you, but you're the best pilot we've ever seen before," because of course uh because he's so, like the only yeah. pilot
1: that's been in space before basically <laughs> i don't know whatever i don't remember the details
2: of it i said i think it was, it was yeah, like something like that he he's the best there is so you know and then they prove it later on with the spinning the ship around to the dock to whatever i mean the robot did half that
1: work anyway and often you noticed that but well he uh, said yeah calculate the spin and like you know like yeah but but still i mean he had to you know it, 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 he he had to do the dramatic work of like ah, I'm, not, I'm not sure if we're gonna make it. But right. The the funny thing to me in that scene is that he says, "Hey, if I pass out, Tars take the wheel. Why don't you just let the computer take the wheel to begin with? If he can. Well, and this, then they like, showed in a it. Way. The, the robot <laughs> had his little
2: robot arm on the stick anyway. Robot was the one who was lining it up with the fucking whatever. It's just we're working together. You're a team. Who gives a shit? It's just they did it
1: and it looked fucking cool. All right. That's oh, all. It I care cool as shit. It was the coolest scene in the movie. But it's just what do you think about it? It's like, uh, eh, you probably could've just let the robot do that and not, you know. Oh I know. But um there's
2: so many scenes in sci-fi films where they have robots and it's like the first pers- humans are doing something dangerous. <laughs> and then gets killed, and you're like, why don't you just have the fucking robot do that shit? Like, why, why did yeah. Spock have to go into the fucking radiation room to, to you know, to to get the mains back online uh, and gets his fucking face all burned up and killed, when he could have just had a fucking robot do it?
1: Why didn't they just send the robot down to all these planets to start with, rather than have them <sighs> go? And like, like we, the, the, the robot's obviously capable of moving on its own and piloting a ship. You could have pi- had it pilot down to the 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 water planet go out on its own. It would have been like, oh fuck, uh, this isn't really gonna work. Uh, yeah, this guy's par- dead. Apparently, the robot can transmit data from inside the black hole, but not from a perfectly normal planet. Anyway, <laughs> whatever, whatever. But all right, so uh, they decide to not go to Edmunds' planet, which was Doctor Brand, uh, Anna Hathaway's uh, partner, boyfriend, whatever. Uh, but it theoretically his his planet showed like less promise uh in the data that was received uh (laughs) which we later find out that matt damon cooked the books and obviously edmund's planet had way more uh promising data uh but so they decide to go to dr man's planet uh and they find matt damon in like cryo sleep uh waiting for them uh and it becomes super clear that matt damon's a dick and he decided that you know the mission they signed up for he wasn't you know and uh, look and i understand like you know, the existential dread of like, I signed up to do this and I fucked up and I'm going to die here. But it's going to take me like 50 years to or whatever. you know, like that's I, I, that would drive anyone nuts. You know, like I, I get that. But also like, dude, come on, don't be a dick. You're you're literally sacrificing the entire human race just so you can go live on a space station for another, you know, for the rest of your days. Like,
2: well, how does he know if his data is better than the other ones where they all transmitted it to each other? were they all comparing data or were they just sending it back to NASA well he knew his
1: well he, i don't know that he knew it was better than the others he knew he l- falsified the data <laughs> to say that there was uh, a surface to that planet and that there was uh, there was the chance for sustainable life to be found on that planet and right. to be, so he to be basically knew through.
2: it was so bad that there was no chance. And then they were yeah. coming back for him. He knew that there I was mean, no surface. Like this is why you don't planet. send a person. This is why you don't send a person because when they get there and realize, Oh, this was a suicide mission, they're going to fucking fuck the data up out <laughs> of their, their cowardly fear of dying alone. This is why you don't have a person do it. Right. So yeah. and he, like, like, yeah, he could have just yeah. been like, Hey, you know, I, I fucking lied, but we should all get out of here together and work together as a team. But instead, he's like, "No, I'm gonna maroon you and then blow up the fucking ship for no reason because I'm a dumbass who forgot yeah. all the rules of space
1: travel." Well, you said it; he had space dementia. It was very <laughs> we well established de- in Armageddon that that if you spend any amount of time in space, <laughs>
2: you're good. I love
1: how, yeah,
2: that I, I, I love how the, um, the, the the timing of it, where he he hasn't had a it's an imperfect uh, lock on the airlock. And he's giving this speech, or he starts to give this speech over the intercom about oh, why yeah, he's doing that. what he's doing. <laughs> he's just like, there comes a moment
1: when, <laughs> he's, yeah, he's gonna start pontificating, <laughs> just, and then he just fucking blows himself. It was so I great. was like, oh, that's just how it goes. It like, like I fucking, appreciate the realism too in that scene of not having a noise when it exploded because it's in the vacuum of space and there's no sound in space. So like, right, well, I, except I, for
2: Gene Corners soaring uh, horns and and uh, no, whiteboard. of course, but like,
1: there's no like. You know, there's no fucking goofy. Yeah. You know, so I, I so that was
2: that. um <clears throat> that was one of the things that that uh how it explodes the the ship as it gets torn away from the airlock, it like the bottom blows out of it. That was one of the things they they shot practically was a uh, one of those uh, uh, ships or a model of the ship exploding because um, they basically said there's you know there's so many random things to an explosion that we just can't like we it, it's so chaotic that we will never be able to cgi and have it look right so we're going to have a practical ex- explosion for this thing that doesn't need it whatsoever but they're like nope we're going to do it we're just going to do it that way
1: yeah yeah and it and it you know looks incredible as a result and that's that's really where nolan uh stands above the pack when it comes to these movies and i'll watch any fucking movie that you that chris nolan directs because he just has such a love for practical filmmaking and he understands that it, it movies just look better like you can look at there's a reason that star wars from 1978 looks better than star wars from 1999 it's because you know star wars from 1999 for all the other flaws of that script and everything else it just looks like a fucking computer generated cutscene mush of you know, soft texture it just looks yeah, like I ca- shit. I can't
2: even watch the Lord of the Rings movies because, like, the battle scenes oh, where God. everything is CGI it just, just it looks, looks like so shit. fucking fake. And, and you and they because they didn't know how to do it. They didn't know how to do it yet, and they didn't realize that like you need to mix practical actors and then uh, add CGI people in between them because then the human eye can't distinguish which one's which because it sees enough real it's things. Worth and it it's worth the fucking money, not. yeah yeah to, 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 but I don't think that it necessarily was the money it was just they didn't realize that it, you know there there's ways to do it where people can't tell the difference and there's ways that you do it and it's just nothing but uncanny Valley
1: well I mean but nowadays I think studios make the calculation when Union Jurassic Park franchise is a great example Jurassic Park looks better than the two Jurassic world sequels you know in by a landslide because they actually built a bunch of fucking t-rexes for that movie and it looks incredible the scene where it's like you know tearing apart the two cars is is one of the most incredible scenes in in cinema because it's just so much of it was done with an actual giant fucking t-rex animatronic and you and, watched the, and that yeah. that
2: scene is so iconic because there is not one note of music the entire sequence you were just stuck oh, in yeah, that fucking true, car with those kids that. getting crushed to death and there's no music all you hear is the rain and the fucking metal
1: crunching and the oh, fucking dude, that beat right before breathing. it breaks through the wind, it breaks through the, the window for the first time, breaks through like the, the oh. ceiling where it's just like quiet and there's just like, pfft, like just incredible, incredible. It's fucking a shame we don't have reading. that Steven Spielberg around anymore. I know that was I, I, that might have been his kind of last. I'd have to look, but I think that might have been his last real hurrah. But, uh, eh, but no, this came after that. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Did it? It was the It was, early no, it was 90s, Same so. year. Same year. So that was he Is had it? like an incredible 1994. Yeah, Schindler's List <laughs> in Jurassic Park. Um, and then I guess he just kind of spent himself after that. But, but, but yeah. you look at a movie like Jurassic World, and it's just the studios have set, figured out that like, hey, it's a lot cheaper for us to just CGI animate the the T Rex and the Indominus Rex and all these fucking things, and slap a brand on it that we know people love, and make. F- 500 million dollars but there's no fucking soul there's no like anima to those and, and i and I actually to some degree like the two jurassic world movies but they're not they're, i don't love them the way i love jurassic like jurassic park is still like an incredible you know piece of uh i watched uh, popcorn uh, the, cinema the, like it's
2: yeah i watched some interviews with uh chris pratt from the last uh press junket Tour they did mm-hmm. for Jurassic World Two, whatever the fuck was, uh, and it's they they, were, they they just openly admitted like yeah the challenge for us as, as actors is to come up with a reason why this ever should get another sequel. <laughs> they, were <laughs> just, they were just like yeah this is terrible, um, and, and the the last Jurassic World Two, it, mm-hmm. like ninety percent of the film takes place inside a basement of a mansion. They they like yeah, fucking like some British guy's mansion. The, yeah, they like get a bunch of the dinosaurs to go take them to an auction, and the dinosaurs get loose, of course, and then like kill a bunch of rich people in this giant. I actually kind of
1: like kinda the politics of that movie. I got to be honest, even though it was yeah, like kind no, of a shitty movie, the politics of it were pretty decent. It, it was it was good in that respect.
2: Yeah, but it's still it's kind of like the fucking tropical island. You know, it's fucking burnt to the ground. It was, it was basically lost world. It was, like, was all sad. They did the, the, the same fucking there. yeah, yeah. yeah that got me that got me that fucking no that was that, was that was great scene.
1: that was an evocative you know the same poet. yeah but that's a whole
2: you know Debron horse is like you don't have room for me come on it was like the the fucking the, the hulk couldn't
1: fit in the elevator scene you know <laughs> oh man um so many yeah, stairs but- <laughs> <laughs> Oh shit. All right. So uh yeah, so so Matt Damon's a dick. Uh he he you know blew himself up. Uh but that was, you know and that again also cost him a ton of time. Um so they I, I just I don't understand what he
2: like logically what he was trying to do. Like he's trying to get off the planet and I don't, like what was his end game? Like was he just gonna clearly, hide in the space
1: shuttle? Like what's how's that different than hiding in yeah, the
2: they're not going to leave him there and be like, "Oh, you lied about the data, so you're not allowed to come back with us." Like, of course they would have taken him with him. Like, why is he? He probably would have been court martialed and like put in jail or whatever.
1: But like, oh. fuck, dude, that's your. Yeah, but like, whatever. why does
2: he blow up blow up their ship and kill a person? Steal another ship and then he, he's so driven Tried to, to murder f- Matthew
1: McConaughey by hand on the plane. Yeah. Why? I don't understand what his space what dementia. Was. You tell you what? said it already. It's space dementia. It's unexplained. It's, it's, unexpl- it's unexplained.
2: The one, the, the one thing uh. that you can take away from Armageddon is that <laughs> Michael
1: Bay came up with the word space dementia. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, it's also in that line delivery, too. And the guy just looks at him and he goes, He's got space dementia. <laughs> the fucking you know like, i don't it's a super it, serious it, line dementia delivery. is a thing
2: that takes years to to come on to as an onset like you, yeah. you dementia is when your brain shrinks gradually over time i
1: don't think well, you have to decide anyway. to run for president anyway <laughs> <laughs> yeah there you go it's it's a practically a requirement nowadays yeah seems seems to be um yeah so uh so you know they they but they dock with and and so <sighs> I, I'm a little fuzzy on the details from there. So that's, so then we eventually get to <clears throat> the point where I guess Matthew McConaughey figures that he could send the data from the black hole back. If he sends TARS into it, uh, I, I, it refresh my memory on, cause I the, the, the actual scene where the, where they decide to send brand, you know, on a slingshot around the, the, the singularity, but then he goes into the, into the black hole to get the data they need. Like, how does that, I, I forget how that exactly is decided by. Well,
2: by, so my, my take on the whole sequence was it was something that, that Coop discussed with TARS, the robot um, without Anne Hathaway's <clears> knowledge. <throat> right? And yeah. it was originally the plan was to send maybe TARS in. And they, they knew that, but they didn't know exactly when they were going to do it. But now they're, you know, the, the ship's blown up and it was losing altitude and starting to fall into the planet's gravity. And they had to waste a bunch of fuel trying to dock with it and then pull the, the entire ship out of the gravity there. And that was why, you know, Tyra said, you know, you don't even, don't even try wasting the fuel. So now they're mm-hmm. in a position where they've got to jettison, um, both of the landing crafts. Right. And that wasn't originally the plan, but that was the decision that Coop made on the fly so that Anne Hathaway could, could still live. And he didn't know if he was going to die or not, but he was pretty much resigned himself to the fact that yeah. like, if, if I don't do this, none of us are going to make it back. Right. Yeah. Um, so I think it was kind of like, you know, we'll, we'll do, she didn't know that she, cause obviously her reaction, you know, that she didn't know that that was, that was the plan.
1: Yeah. So he, and then, so then he, you know, <clears throat> in order to facilitate that, he ends up going into the singularity, uh, into the black hole and with Tars to try to you know send back out this this gravitational data um but what ends up happening is that he ends up uh going into the into this this tesseract which is this kind of three-dimensional construct that these fifth dimensional beings built for him to understand time and to understand you know to understand what actually has happened to put him in that situation like how they actually you know why they decided to put him there so he basically had this really interesting 3D visual representation of, of linear time where he could like you know fly through the stacks of time and then he ended up you know giving that gravitational information to his daughter which ended up being NASA's coordinates and then he eventually gave, gave the gravitational coordinates I guess that, that helped them figure out the equation um, but and then he you know but it, it, it's clear that the 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 uh, the fifth dimensional beings, the future humans, kind of protected him through this black hole and shot him out back into our universe, you know. And they, I think, they dropped him out somewhere near Saturn, where the the you know the lander picked him up, uh, and 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 brought him in to you know meet his his uh, ancient you know Titanic age daughter, where she was like you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> throwing the well, blue heart well, of the ocean was, jewel off the titanic
2: right so it was it was partially it was you know it was the coordinates of where to come find him where he physically was out in space which was I guess back at the wormhole where it spit him out but it yeah. was also information where she kept working on these these formulas that might Michael Kane that he couldn't figure out <laughs> before he died and and thought no one ever could and she's the one that eventually figures out how to beat gravity how to how to lift things you know when he, he gets back there at the space station that's basically you know so big that it's like the the you know like the the space station from Elysium with well, again Matt Damon um where it's so big you can grow crops inside of it right like to do that and you have to build it on earth and then lift it up to space with some kind of anti-gravity
1: thing which of course you know didn't exist yet and we see that kind of rough idea of how the mechanism works when you see the ship where it's got that kind of like a circular sky where it's you can see the kind of gravitate the 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 gyrations of the ship where it's kind of creating its own gravity and it's creating its own lit. It's a really interesting like you know, I, it's weird that we don't. I, I don't think we do. We see the outside of that craft because that must have been an immense craft. Like I don't think we even no, see the outside. But it's, of the craft. it's based on. Um
2: back in the 70s, there was a lot of people doing illustrations and designs for like what a civilization that really lived in space all the time would have to be. And you, know, you have to have something that was so big that you grow food on it. So it was like I remember seeing this back when I was a kid of just people's illustrations. So um, especially on like, like you ever like look at old sci fi novels and some of like the artwork for the covers of those books. Yeah. Just, the, I love them. Yeah. Um, books don't always yeah, match up to the artwork. But yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's like a, like a giant tube in space. Right. And it's so big that you've got, it's, you know, like the curve of the earth, but like on the inside curve instead of the outside curve. Um, and then you've got farm fields and everything. And of course you get the scene where the kid hits the baseball and it goes straight up and it like breaks through someone's window on the other side of the the curvature. (laughs) Right. Uh, so yeah, I mean, she's the one that figured out how
1: to do all that. And that's what yeah. basically saves yeah. humanity with his um, equations that he get, that he gets from going through the, 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 black hole, I think.
2: Exactly. And, and it's just great. Cause you, you know, it's like, Oh, I'm the hero. And he gets back and like, Oh, you named a space station after me. And they're like, Nope, we named it after your daughter <laughs> and wait till you find <laughs> out why. Uh, so yep. yeah, I, I liked how it kind of, you know, he, he was the one that left her behind. Right. To, mm-hmm. to, to go save humanity and he gets back and it turns out that, you know, she's sort of left him behind because she's gone on to actually do the thing that saved humanity. Save he, all humanity. His, his, you know, his whole thing was almost not necessary. I mean, it was because he had to get the data that gave her the information to do whatever,
1: but uh, and then it's it, also the chicken to the egg of like the, the you know, uh, future humans made this all happen to, in order to give her that data through him to save humanity. So it's at like, at least
2: that's, that's what they, they sort theoretically. of theoretically,
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: And you know, it's, I mean, I like all of that. I like all of that. It, It still feels like maybe there's, there's like one thing missing out of all of it. Like you want to see just one more kind of element. Uh, you know like what's there's so many things that you want gone is like the earth totally dead now and like we're just in these these
1: things now like what that's the shit that i'm like yeah nolan's like yeah i don't really care like whatever like just you know (laughs) that's the part like no but what tell us i don't even care if it's hokey expository dialogue i just want to know like what 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 do you conceive of like the yeah like, like show us a little bit more of the world i don't i mean or even just what does the Earth look like from orbit? Like, is it fucking brown? Like, is the like, what does it look yeah. like? Like, you know. <laughs> but instead, they end you with this this
2: this setup. Like, oh, Anne Hathaway is lonely off in another <laughs> planet somewhere. We got to go rescue her. It's like, okay, so there was this. Is there a sequel coming? No, of course not. Like, what? What is? What a weird but, way to well, end so, the movie.
1: But the interesting thing with that scene is that she's just basically out on that planet without any kind of spacesuit. So it's like this is clearly a, a, a habitable. Habitable planet. It's fi- I, it, that's my last attempt. I can't do it. Just, yeah, <laughs> it's clearly a habitable planet. Um, so I guess maybe the idea is also like kind of a hit him from both sides. Like humanity will continue on the space station, but also maybe Anne Hathaway and and Coop are going to try to restart civilization on this planet. Like, right. know, I don't know. Because Edmonds is dead, obviously, by the time well, she gets there. Uh, that's implied. And,
2: and it's also sort of like, well, He's the hero, he's got to have a new adventure, right? You can't just leave him like, okay,
1: now what do I do? Well, he's also a relic of the time where, yeah, like that just doesn't exist for right. humanity
2: anymore. Like, you know, we don't need farmers like you anymore, right? Yeah. So,
1: and we don't need uh, you know, pile we don't need like uh, adventurers and like you know, explorers like him either. Like, that's you know, they're just sustaining life on this craft, and yeah, so he is like a relic of this other, you know, so it's interesting.
2: And well, what's great about it too is that it was, it's his daughter that tells him to go do it. She's like, yeah. You know, you're I, I've come to peace with what you did to me, you know, mm-hmm. leaving me behind, but there's someone else who you've sort of left behind now, and you need to go to her, you know. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's his daughter telling him to go do this that, that makes it feel that gives it that purpose, you know. I mean, you wouldn't want to see Anne Hathaway marooned anyway, right? But it's still <laughs> like he doesn't, he doesn't know. Um, you know, where she is. And, and basically like they're, they're still in the same timeline. I mean, they're, I mean, they're all in the same timeline, but it's like, he's
1: the, but they're still the same age. They didn't. Yeah. Roughly.
2: Right. So they would, they would basically, <clears throat> you know, all this time didn't know where either one of them were. um. And I mean, I, I would imagine they get spit out of the wormhole at the same time or, or, you know
1: in different places at the theoretically same time. that planet doesn't have as much of a time dilation as as the other two because she seemed to you know be roughly the same age and it was implied that that was occurring at the same time that he took off from his craft so yeah you know well i don't
2: <laughs> think he will make a sequel because it's not batman but uh, I, I would I actually know. like to see a sequel to this
1: movie because there is a lot of like aspects of it that that are unexplored. But, um, but you I know, don't I don't know if it would work. I yeah. don't know.
2: I mean, there is more of a story to tell there. I mean, I, I you, think so. This, yeah. this, this, we were talking about it last week. How um, you know, sci-fi movies lately aren't really sci-fi. It's kind of just like, hey, here is what NASA is doing in twenty years that they should have been doing, you know, already, uh, yeah, and here is another adventure. Like it's that. it's it's all based very close to what our technology is already. Uh, just with more infrastructure already up there in orbit, um, and there's not really a whole lot of sci-fi. In fact, this is this is was much closer to a real science fiction film uh, in getting the science part correct, <laughs> uh, and also you know sort of jumping ahead in time. It's like, oh wait, here's here's the here's the 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 really higher tech we don't have, and and it showing how we got there and then like what what new kinds of adventures can we do with with this tech with a society that's still pretty much who we are now
1: yeah no absolutely um so yeah i mean it's a shame i don't think we'll ever get one because nolan's really not that kind of a director. i mean he obviously did it for batman mm-hmm. movies but you just kind of have to but you know <laughs> yeah. it's not really his he, he i think he likes creating in new like you know unique ip and not not building on stuff like that so
2: in keeping with his theme of time being the enemy uh, or time yeah. being the killer or time being the thing we're trying to thwart uh you still really need to see his next film Dunkirk because what he does with yeah. time with this film it, people thought it was unconventional but if you look at all the rest of his films it's really not it's just that people didn't quite understand it I think um and I won't I won't spoil it but it's it's actually very similar to this almost um do the nazis win? <laughs> Spoiler <laughs> alert. Yeah, no. No, no, no they I mean, just I mean, they I mean, kill Hitler way earlier uh, <laughs> than it happened in real life. No. But it's basically like you you he, he's he's always doing something with time or with reality in relation to time that is unconventional. Uh, at least with all those films that aren't Batman. But uh, you know with this it's really just you know, trying to understand all of it is, is kind of a puzzle anyway, just the, like the logistics of what they're doing, even if they're explaining it with expository This is the thing I, I love is where they have to explain what they're doing while they're already on the mission. Like they didn't fucking know any of this shit before they launched. Yeah, I know. <laughs> like, really? You got to get out the paper plate and fold it and stick the pen <laughs> through it. You're fucking astronauts. And you were doing this really scene again. Seriously. Yep,
1: yep. Um, yeah. So that, that always kind of irks me, but whatever. I'm excited to see what Nolan does. He's doing some movie called Tenet, and it's another movie. Where it's very like you know secretive, and no one really knows even like the genre of the movie. But it's some kind of an action movie, um, which you know on its face may seem generic. But I, I trust him to do something interesting with it, where it'll be you know worth worth seeing. He's uh, not just well, gonna make you, a boring spy. You know,
2: if, if you pitched uh, Dunkirk, it's like oh the the. Um...
1: British oh it's troops. a war movie. <laughs>
2: like yeah, but it's not even a war movie. It's like British troops are trying to evacuate from a beach after the Nazis like basically cornered them and are about to kill them. Yeah. It's not even like a war. It's just people evacuating. Like how do you make that interesting? <clears throat> fucking he does. No one does it. Like you the whole time you're just like
1: fucking clock is ticking down. Here we go. <laughs> yeah. Well th- I think that's what he understands intuitively in all of his films and the dark Knight was a really great example of that and then obviously this film and as you mentioned dunkirk he just really knows how to make he the whole concept of a ticking clock in cinema he knows how to do that for two and a half hours like he's great at just creating that always constant tension of like Oh fuck something's got to happen something's got to happen this is this you know we right. like he's just really so, good at creating that tension
2: you you mentioned the ticking clock right so what 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 kind of a clock are we talking about here um so alfred hitchcock talked about this and basically said you know if you want to start a movie uh, with people talking for 5 minutes at a cafe and then suddenly a bomb goes off that's that's a great way to start a movie right but mm-hmm. if you if you show you know, a, a reveal of that bombs ticking clock on, you know, underneath the table.
1: Yeah.
2: Right. And then the audience suddenly knows there's a, there's a bomb about to go off. They're not timing it, but they know it's going to go off. So the whole time those two people are talking about things that have nothing to do with that bomb. that's about to go off. You're fucking sitting there just like, uh, you know, you're tense as shit. Yeah. Right. So even though the scene may not have any tension to it, you, you reveal that time bomb about to go off to the audience and you've done half your work right there. Like they're way more invested in every word that's coming out of those actors' mouths now.
1: Yeah. Quentin Tarantino is another one who's like a master of doing that. Like he, he's hey, we talked
2: good. about that for, uh, yeah, we talked about that on
1: that. That whole movie but,
2: is one. Yeah. big
1: count. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I think I've, I've, we've covered largely what, it, what, uh, what there is to cover. Is there any other things you want to touch on from this film? uh you know there there's we
2: talked a little bit about the the linguistics how you know language was sort of our first technology um to try to you know basically start transcending being just animals into being you know a higher sentient being and i think that that's kind of a that's the beginning you know we we had um still had to deal with other animals trying to kill us and everything and us trying to kill them and Really wasn't till well, like I think it's about thirty to fifty thousand years ago we started domesticate dogs so we had like a, a lookout right and then we started to have leisure time to develop things like uh, written language, cave paintings, more art, more culture, and I just I think it's it's a really fascinating you know a uh, thing to study how we developed all these things, all these different tools of communication um, that we didn't used to have right the things that made us into really human beings and how that is the thing that really does uh
1: allow us to transcend time yeah yeah no for sure yeah um great well i think we've uh we've hit on what we wanted to hit on for interstellar um we will uh, definitely be back soon with a bunch of uh, new movie left episodes. We got we got some stuff coming down the pipeline. Uh, we'll 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 get you the details on that when it's when it's when it's when We decide but, uh, what they're going to be. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so uh, you know, obviously, if you like uh, our movie reviews and you are also into leftist politics, we have our main show, which is Move Left Idiots, in the same feed that you're listening to this in right now. Uh, You can search for Move Left Idiots on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud.com slash Move Left. We are on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Move Left Idiots. If you want to uh, pick up any merch, you can do that at TinyURL.com slash Move Left Merch. We're on Patreon. If you want to support the show that way, Patreon.com slash Move Left. I am on Twitter at Move underscore Left. Uh, I'm on Twitter at smut collector. That's with an ER, not an OR. Yeah, we'll see you (laughs) next time.